1: And I'm Eliana Johnson.
0: That's dang tootin'. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what is going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, I brought you something. What did you bring from Germany? From Germany, I have brought you the keychain. Oh,
1: I like it. It's
0: the TV tower. Here you go. That's great. yeah, yeah. yeah. TV tower. Everybody Comes gets... I'm gifts. One for Nate and his haircut. One for a bare-armed, sweaterless, Colin Chocola. But this is the TV tower in Berlin, which the East Germans built to broadcast their propaganda into the West and into the world. It's very tall, and you can go up in it. And I did, and it's true. So there you go.
1: Thank you. This communist, is
0: great. Communist media memento for you.
1: So how was the trip?
0: Great. I love watching tv news it's so great because they're imitating american tv so there's like the the tv news that's not as good as our tv news or that is better than our tv news it's like serious real reporting talking about issues and then when they try to do like fun or loose it it feels like it looks you know what it looks like it looks like a video that's trying to sell you a timeshare as they're trying to like have awkwardly placed flowers on a weird beige wood kind of set as people talk so that was definitely part of the experience but newspaper consu- newspaper consumption in Europe is way higher than newspaper consumption in the United States the you can the print is not dead in Europe to in the way that it is in the US
1: well welcome back
0: it's good to be back the weird meats of Germany were a delight
1: what was the highlight
0: of Culinary the weird of the weird meats, yeah. so the, I forget what the name of it is, but the Germans have a a ham, a pork meatloaf that for breakfast it it is sort of of the consistency of spam, cut thick and then pan fried. As a lover of weird meats, bre- German breakfast is perfect. It's just plates and plates of meats and cheeses and pickles and beef and pickles is my dance name, so it all work it all works out great.
1: I can't, we can't stay away from our front page any longer. Oh, no, 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 no. We yeah. We must right. move to it. The Fox News Dominion settlement. And Chris, I have so many questions for you on this. How surprised were you by this outcome?
0: Not at all. It is the outcome that I, 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 I hate to say how right I was, but I was very right about this, that they would settle on the courthouse steps and that's where they settled. And it just, I guess... You sort of have to play it out if you're them. I was a, I was deposed in this, and I'm of course subject to being called in other cases coming against Fox. So I'm I want to stay in the analysis lane rather than the finding a fact lane. But it was never going to be in Fox's interest to do this, and the 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 sum I guess they they sort of had to play it out to the end. But my thirty thousand foot takeaway is that the cost of this, there's been a lot of discussion about how much this cost. So it's, you know, more than three quarters of a billion dollars, which on the one hand is an enormous amount of money for a company that I think had, a network, had, had an estimated value of $40 million. So it's a huge amount of money. But also people point out, well, it's nothing for a company that makes $4 billion a year. I think it's somewhere in between the two. This was half basically of the profit that Fox made last year. So it's a sizable amount of money. The other thing that makes it sizable is it was not necessary, right? What Fox was trying to do was not lose audience after Trump lost the election. Their desperate effort was to not lose audience share to Newsmax and others. And the reason that they did not practice better hygiene was they were concerned, and this is what all of the, the, the internal discussions make clear, they were concerned about this. Well, the short-term ratings loss that happens after a Republican candidate loses an election ends and comes back, right? But Fox, in, in an effort to try to avoid that, ended up not only perpetuating the problem, they made, made the long-term problem worse for the country for themselves, but also ended up having to pay this and then whatever they're going to have to pay Smartmatic and they're going to have to deal with their board. So it really was, from from a, a strategic managerial standpoint, a pretty colossal miss because it just wasn't necessary.
1: Why did the settlement come so late?
0: Well, you got to play it out till the end, right? You don't... Do you? Yeah.
1: Explain that a little bit more. I'm not, I, I don't quite understand why it came. It could have been a week before the trial was set to start as opposed to, you know, the minute there's you know, been with a, the jury seated. well
0: part part of the story relates to whether or not Rupert Murdoch was going to have to testify right so Fox had, had thought maybe they had a way to avoid have, having him to have to take the stand and they were playing that out and that's when the judge got very upset and this you know we talked about that that once it was clear that Murdoch was going to have to testify they sort of tried their last gambit to keep him out of it I think that changed the calculus for when you have a settlement the other thing is they wanted i assume to make dominion sweat dominion was asking for a lot of money and dominion not if dominion had gone to trial even if they had won this would have been in appeal for a long time and if you're dominion you you you're shooting for the stars but for Fox, I guess I'll put it this way.
1: Spending a lot on attorneys' fees. Spending
0: a lot yeah. on attorneys fees. But Fox spent a lot on attorneys fees too. The Again,
1: uh, given the given their comparative valuations, it's right. more for I mean, they had lawyers that were probably in the same time. realm of, of expensiveness.
0: If from the from the trial itself, from the case itself, time was on Fox's side. From the from the perspective of reputational harm though, time was on Dominion's side because this was an orgy of media coverage. The, the amount of coverage, the amount of stuff, Nate can attest, the amount of stuff that I have turned down, the number of interviews that I have turned down. I did a great interview with CBS Sunday morning. Aaron Moriarty was great. I did, but, and I'm going to talk to the, we're going to do a dispatch event, but I've basically tried to stay away from it as within reason. The But the amount of media interest in this and the way that this has been covered was every day bad headlines for Fox. And that that has that has value. That has that has a cost.
1: Does it matter for Fox over the long term? I was on the pod commentary podcast yesterday with our friends there and we debated this. And and I came down on the you know, I'm not sure. And I lean toward I don't really think it does matter for them in the long term. They'll pay the money and move forward my I, I'm guessing that this lawsuit from investors yep. will force some management changes there, and that will actually be the well, biggest
0: the, the firing the firings that will take i I don't know when the firings take place, but this was obviously there was significant mismanagement involved this was a, a as I said at the outset an unnecessary an unforced error and all that that is clear I guess fox has a has a decision to make which is you have an old model at Fox, which is the opinion shows are 80% of the revenue and drive all this stuff, but the news division was the way you keep the skeletal structure so that you can be in the White House press pool, you can be a legitimate news organization, you can carry that news flag, but that comes at a cost, right? There's there's risk. When you hold yourself out as a news organization, there's a risk. If you think about the way that they've defended other lawsuits like against Tucker Carlson and stuff. What do they say? No one thinks this is news, right? The, the Fox defense has been on multiple occasions. No one watches Tucker Carlson and thinks it's news. This is an entertainment product. And that is a safer place to be. Fox now is a little, a little bit news, but a lot, lot, lot of opinion. I think that's a dangerous place to be. So they either need a real news division that is reinvigorated and has good oversight and does all those things or they need to, to move away. Both choices are freighted.
1: Should we talk a little bit about the coverage of this? Yeah. And what you made of it? Oh, you want I, I, of course, was watching the Jake Tappers of the world and the Oliver Darcy's of the world and and all of these guys. First of all, they were totally crustfallen by the <laughs> by the fact that there was well, the, a settlement reached. The
0: David Korn tweet the dominion lawsuit was always about one corporation confronting another over its particular grievance it wasn't an exercise in truth finding and holding fox accountable for peddling lies that led to insurrectionist violence and undermining american democracy dollar sign greater than truth said david corn the
1: evergreen statement
0: yeah dollar sign greater than truth the idea the 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 frustration and disappointment that people had about this case not going to trial and as it was manifested in complaints about Dominion, the hilarious part is what did they think was going to happen? Right? What I, as I said to Max Tani at Semaphore, did they think it was going to be like a Scooby Doo cartoon? And at the end, Rupert Murdoch, they'd like pull a rubber mask off of Rupert Murdoch and he'd say, Oh, you kids, you got me. We confess. No, that's not what this was going to be the whole time. And it's the little, a little, foofy a little silly the way that it was treated but you mentioned jake tapper
1: well i was outraged watching these guys read the statement fox news put out which was sort of ridiculous what
0: was the line Um, the statement
1: where they said we're committed to the highest standards of truth and reporting this this massive settlement reflects Um, our
0: commitment to the highest standards of journalism
1: but let's play jake tapper reading he's covering the news of this settlement and he's reading the statement from fox news let's play that
0: fox Uh, issued a statement saying, quote, we are pleased to have reached a
1: settlement of our dispute dispute, with Dominion voting systems. We acknowledge the court's rulings, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. The settlement reflects... I'm sorry, this is going to be difficult to say with a straight face. This settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. We are hopeful that our... Sorry... We are hopeful that our decision to resolve the dispute
0: with Dominion amicably instead of the acrimony of a divisive trial allows the country to move forward from these issues. Unquote. Let's bring back CNN legal analysts Laura Coates and Ellie Honig. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. He's loving it.
1: To act like the guys at CNN are the paragons of journalistic objectivity and they're sitting on the Mount Olympus of journalism... Tut tutting Fox is, I think, the unfortunate position Fox put itself in in this case, but also revolting. You know, have a little self awareness.
0: We'll be- and, and, and
1: it wasn't so long ago that CNN paid out some massive settlement to the kid from the high school, right? The Catholic kid from the high school. Give me a break.
0: The, and the other thing is, don't like it that much, right? Don't enjoy it that much. The 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 the, the triumphing in. The misery of your competitor—that's not what. If Jake Tapper wants is if Jake Tapper is the face of straight news for CNN, he needs to not do that, right? That if if the if the goal is that he is a sober sided, serious journalist, there are serious issues at play here, and that's not, you know, it. As we've talked about many times before, what CNN has to say about Fox and what Fox has to say about CNN is not very useful because they're just talking past each other, and, like, lighten up.
1: What other reactions do we oh, have I think we this David is Corn. Oh, yes. I think Let's this is this a one. great,
0: a really worthwhile piece. Jeff Koseff, Kosef, I'm sorry, Mr. Kosef, but he is a free speech expert and somebody whose work I have followed closely in the New York Times writing a piece that is should be very, ch- is it a challenge that I think people of the left and people who are Fox News critics ought to really understand he is a he is still at the naval academy he's by the way the, his book on section 230 is required reading for anybody who wants to understand it and what its significance is but his piece reminds everybody if you were rooting for fox so there's been a weird thing that happened among The right. I was going to say conservatives, but among the right, which is a yearning for a decrease in defamation standards, right? More lawsuits. You mentioned the CNN case, more lawsuits, more suing Clarence Thomas coming out to take down the Sullivan, the Times v. Sullivan standard and all of that stuff. And Kosef makes a really convincing argument for why as high as the standard may be, and as frustrating as it is for people who don't like the outcome of particular cases, this is really essential. The here's, here's how he concludes. Hopefully such a plan will be unnecessary and judges will come to again recognize the enduring value of Sullivan. The Dominion trial was an opportunity for the nation to witness how this profound national commitment protects all speakers. And it will be in the best interest of conservatives to fight to protect Sullivan rather than to tear it down. So maybe Sullivan... Maybe maybe this process will help us hold on to the Sullivan standard because we certainly need it.
1: Okay, should we talk about 2024 coverage? Let's do it. I must say,
0: Ronnie I am Meatball. getting a little
1: tired of hearing about what donors think of this and that move on the part of DeSantis. So we have the Washington Post reporting on Republican megadonor Ken Langone, who is eager to support Ron DeSantis for president, but he's got some concerns. I mean, evergreen statement about every donor and every political candidate ever. Langone didn't like that DeSantis signed a six-week weeks six week abortion ban and wants him to moderate his stance on the issue. It wouldn't hurt for DeSantis to, quote, be a little more conciliatory in his demeanor, he suggested. And Langone worries about the resurgence of former President Donald Trump, who Langone previously backed but argues can't win another general election. It scares the hell out of me, he said, of Trump's growing dominance in the polls. Can I tell you one thing I learned? in covering these sorts of stories is that first of all, like I think the attention given to what donors are doing and donor this and who the donors are supporting is like overhyped because as Trump showed, it doesn't, it, they only have limited sway. Sure. It's good to have money, but like they, they only have limited sway. The second thing is the donors who talk to the press and particularly the ones who go on the record, talking to the press, aren't the ones who do Right. Matter like the really important ones aren't on the phone with the Washington Post.
0: The it's been interesting to watch the media and Ron DeSantis. So I think it was how two months ago, maybe six weeks ago. Nate may remember. I think it was Nate Cohn and others who said this primary is over. It's down to DeSantis and Trump. It's already happened, right? So this was like in March, and this dumb conventional wisdom came in and it was like, this thing's over. It's never happened before, but here it is. It's a two man race and it's only March and we've decided. And I said, I don't know. It seems like the next year will probably be pretty consequential. And going from it's over, it's Trump v. DeSantis to, a and look, from a coverage standpoint, what Ron DeSantis, the the comedy of errors that Ron DeSantis has engaged in in the past two or three weeks has been truly magical to watch. No pun intended, Magic Kingdom, particularly the shocking rookie move of coming to D.C. as an undeclared candidate, talking to members of Congress, unable to ask them for their endorsements, and then Trump coming in and sweeping up right behind him. You have a guy who walks out of a meeting with DeSantis and goes and endorses Trump. Now, the relative value of these endorsements over time, as speaking of things that we learned from 2016, is low. Jeb Bush had beaucoup endorsements, tons and tons so of endorsements. So did Marco Rubio. So did Marco, little Marco, yeah. had tons and tons of endorsements and endorsements don't, it's not that they don't matter, but DeSantis took this gambit and just got dunked on all over the place. He's stuck on Disney. He's stuck with abortion. So it's all true. But now what's happening is the same political press that in March declared Ron DeSantis inevitable, right, that it's a two-man race, are now like, DeSantis sucks again. Like the the narrative. And something I would tell you, gentle listeners and viewers, is the two stories that the press loves the most in politics are, number one, he is... The, he is ruined. He is the, the high made low. The mighty have fallen. But what's the one they love even more? The comeback kid. Here he comes again. Here he comes again. So Ron DeSantis, welcome to the roller coaster ride where after you're going to get absolutely just snozzled for the next couple of weeks, it'll be about, I don't know. It'll be about flag day. It'll be before flag day that they say, you know, as much as all those other people, and I always love when media analysts do this, I don't know who, uh, uh, not me, but other people were wrong about this mm-hmm. in the past, and now let me say, actually, he's on the way back. So DeSantis is not done, he is not won, and he is not done, and what we have to, what real, what even-handed analysis looks like in this case is, he is getting an education. We'll see. And we'll see. We'll see. Oh, yes, please. May I? I'm sorry to have to talk. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry to have to talk about this piece sent to us by an alert reader, a.k.a. Nate Moore. And it's from the American Conservative. And the, it's from Auguste Myrat. And Auguste says, it's a headline, not making this up, learning from Vlad the Impaler. The American people need a champion who is willing to be the bad guy. And I I got to say the the take that I was ready for was not what Donald Trump is Dracula. And that's good. And that America America want Vlad Tepeș to impale and 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 celebrate the blood-soaked ground on which their enemies go. It was, it makes, as I said to somebody, this piece makes the Flight 93 election look like (laughs) Ronald Reagan's A Time for Choosing. This is a real, a special, just mark it down. It's a special, it's a special place. You can, you can say in the many arguments that have been made for Trump over the years, he's a Dracula and that's good is another milestone.
1: What do we have next? Oh, yes. We have news organizations gonna, yeah. fleeing Twitter.
0: What are you going to do with your Twitter account?
1: I, like, barely use my Twitter are you account, verifying? to be honest. Are you a verified I'm verified. I actually wonder if I'm still verified because that's all supposed to be.
0: Yeah, check. Um, Go ahead and check right now. We'll have a real a, a reveal. I'm
1: verified.
0: You're still verified.
1: I'm still verified. And you didn't pay. I didn't pay. Oh, my gosh, no.
0: At the, at the, recommend, I'm not paying. At the recommendation of my Twitter wrangler, I paid. I don't okay. tweet. But the Twitter account is, will remain verified. He's very
1: good and sounds like you, I must say.
0: Yeah, I, he, the Twitter wrangler whose name we do not use is very good and basically keeps it clean, and it's a good place for people to find my content. So, at Chris Steinronwal't, well, still verified.
1: I don't use it, but Elon declared NPR and what else? State-run it, media? Yep. The BBC. Yep. Was it, did he declare the BBC?
0: I forget, but the Canadian broadcasting.
1: Yes, yeah. right.
0: Pretty rude, eh? Just Okay, down so they said no.
1: they are ditching Twitter. I really hoser. don't care. I'm not going to miss them, but but you wanted to discuss.
0: Well, I think par- part of it is...
1: Good riddance.
0: Well, part of it is, like, Twitter was a good place. I liked Twitter. When I liked Twitter, I liked Twitter because it was a good place for news aggregation. It found its fullest flowering to me. As a news aggregator, that you could follow good journalists, you could follow outlets, and you could get the news in a stream, which was helpful and good. The way that people talk about Twitter now is so goofy, is so silly. If I'm not here anymore, you know, goodbye Twitter. You can follow me at Mastodon. Goodbye Twitter. Blah, 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 blah. And it's so silly it's so self-serious and I think the the hard thing is Twitter's sort of like high school right you hate it while you're in it and then when it's over you have all of this nostalgia many people do have all this nostalgia. I hated it
1: while I was in it I have no nostalgia for it and that is the same with Twitter. So, and so you're right. It is just like high school.
0: Yeah, and so, and and I think that the people going through all this stuff about Twitter, it doesn't matter to the American Project whether or not Twitter lives or dies. It doesn't matter. It's not that important.
1: Oh my gosh, who cares? All right. Rump. Next, we have something I do care about. Yes. Which is the coverage of Harlan Crow and his relationship with Justice Clarence Thomas, and. We have a great piece. Harlan Crow sat down with the Wall Street Journal, Barton Swaim over there, who's a wonderful writer. He sat for an interview and talked to him about his relationship with the justice. And Barton Swaim writes, and of course we'll link the piece, Harlan Crow is collateral damage of a smear campaign against Clarence Thomas. In an effort to delegitimize the Supreme Court, left-leaning journalists libel him as a Nazi sympathizer. Couldn't agree more. You really summed it up right there.
0: I am not unbiased in this. I am very proud to say that Harlan Crow is my friend. And it has been, look, I think there's a lot that can be said rightly about what Clarence Thomas should have disclosed or should not have disclosed and the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And I certainly understand all of that. But Harlan Crow is fundamentally patriotic person. And when I say fundamentally patriotic person, I mean, he's not a partisan weirdo. He's not on the grind to get something. He's not a hardcore ideologue kook. He is a, just a fundamentally patriotic pro-American kind of person. And if I may say a sweet man, he is a sweet man. And the people who work for him say that. And I, I watched the accusation that Harlan Crowe was a Nazi sympathizer. I watched this play out and the attacks on the, the dehumanizing attacks on Harlan Crowe. And it was so interesting for me as a person who, I, I mean, I'm not like, we, we don't, we don't, we don't FaceTime, but for somebody who I know a little to watch this demonization and this dehumanizing attack on Harlan Crow was a real snapshot into and whether it's George Soros for the right or Harlan Crow or whoever on the left the how how should a rich person proceed in american life right how should they proceed uh, what should they do and in those ways harlan crow set a real good standard he set a real good standard for how a rich person ought to proceed and how generous he is how charitable he is how engaged he is and this was this was for a person who is, I've had my time in the media dunking booth from time to time. I know the experience of what it is to be demonized. And this was this was eye-opening even for me.
1: Well said. I don't really know how to transition out of that, Chris.
0: Well, you can transition into talking about whose fault it is that diane feinstein has shingles and cannot participate i was
1: so worked up about this so i get politico playbook in my inbox and the subject line earlier this week i think it was monday but don't quote me on that was no gop favors for feinstein And I was just this woman is 89 years old and she is predictably bedridden off somewhere, unable to do her duty on the Judiciary Committee. And somehow the story is Republicans won't help this old lady out, as opposed to what on earth is she still doing in the Senate?
0: Headline, no GOP favors for Feinstein. Yeah,
1: like they're they're mistreating this old lady as opposed to, you know, Democrats must be and should be outraged that she has not resigned her Senate seat, yeah, handed it over. Especially when there's How? a
0: Democratic governor of California and they can appoint another Democrat for a seat that Democrats will win in the next election, that there is no danger of a Republican. There is no danger of a of a Republican holding any seat in California, Nate, would you say this decade for sure? I think we're pro- safe. So I, th- this has been a real...
1: It's amazing. And then this line, but Republicans are simply loath to be seen helping a Democrat White, white House confirm liberal judges. They're not loath to be seen. They don't
0: well, They don't be- want that. They yeah. don't
1: want that. They're against it. They don't believe in it. Can you imagine? It's can you ima- not a matter of optics.
0: Ima- imagine if Orrin Hatch or whoever, if the situation was reversed and was like, look, we, we just got to get Brett Kavanaugh through. he's just let it, let us swap out somebody for Orrin Hatch here so we can get these we got to get these judges through. Come on, give me a break.
1: Ridiculous, and that is a. Should we
0: talk about? Should we talk about our breaking news? I just looked at the El Recho's thread here, and ne- underneath a picture of Harambe that I sent is was my yes. That was that was my I'm just contribution. Gonna say to before the I'm going to
1: preface this by saying this is in the category of who left Twitter for me.
0: Okay. Uh, of Harambe is? I think, no, no, I think Harambe no, deserves the better. The breaking
1: news is in the category of, you know, so-and-so news organization took themselves off Twitter. It's like, okay, had no, no bearing on my life.
0: BuzzFeed it's, News is being shut down. Yeah. But BuzzFeed News was once a big deal. By the way, Ben Smith. It
1: was once a big deal.
0: Ben Smith, former BuzzFeed editor, has a book coming out where he talks about putting the pp tape the word of the pp tape out and all that stuff but buzzfeed <laughs> maybe
1: he'll come back for an interview about the book
0: i i bet and i bet it's a good read but buzzfeed was put out the dossier buzzfeed was once people were chasing buzzfeed and now it is no more i can has cheeseburger I, no longer has news
1: <laughs> i think it is instructive about how fad driven media mm-hmm. is right now like there's a new Fad right now of like people doing news through Instagram and through TikTok and like yeah, I'm looking at Cookie because Colin and and his people they're always telling us like we got to get on Instagram we got to do this we got to do that and I'm sure they're right like for Instagram's this moment good I like but, Instagram um, no but it's like deliver the news through it and adapt through it but it's just amazing like that these things they they were all one saw thing and and what was the other one that's also no longer oh my gosh they had the HBO show
0: um, of the Circus.
1: No, Vox. No. Oh my gosh, no,
0: Vice. 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 Like these
1: things were the biggest deal ten years ago, and it, it is a testament to how quickly the media landscape is changing.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Harambe knows. Harambe okay. knows.
1: Do you, do you have additional <laughs> comments, or you, I just said I don't care about it and then talked about it for five minutes? No, you're
0: but, right. I I agree. Okay. I agree wholeheartedly with you that in the in I guess here's what I would say, and th- this applies to the Fox News story. This applies to a lot of the stories. It is harder and riskier to produce high-quality news products. But there is a market for it, and if you love America, you have to try, right? That's, that's what there is. That's, that's all I can tell you.
1: Up next, we got a Starwalt special here.
0: Well, not I. Not I oh, said uh, the fly. Yeah. This story, which I believe originated in the Telegraph of London, headline, meet the quote, and I love the scare quote on elite, meet the elite couples breeding to save mankind. And it has gotten a lot of play for some pretty obvious reasons. Most of all, the picture of the two children, the young people with an American flag who are, have, have met and they are going to have intercourse, as much as it may pain them, as much as it may bother them, they are meeting other nerds and they are going to experience the physical act of Congress, coitus, in order to produce live offspring in order that their genetic material may be passed on and carried forward. So congratulations. I say congratulations to you people who are bravely agreeing to have sexual intercourse for the sake of humankind.
1: Well, she does have to be pregnant, does she? doesn't she? does
0: she? Well, can't they, get, can't they outsource that? In an Insider article last November that helped bring the movement to wider attention, 23andMe co-founder Linda Avey acknowledged its influence on the Texan tech scene. While the managing director of an exclusive retreat, Dialogue, founded by arch-conservative investor and PayPal pioneer Peter Thiel, said population decline was a frequent topic there. Babu, (laughs) who hopes to join or create a pronatalist organization in the U.K., says it is still niche here but gaining ground on both the swashbuckling intellectual right and the niche more family focused and blue labor tinged segments of the left at the center of it all are simone and malcolm collins 230 something american entrepreneurs turned philosophers <laughs> <laughs> And parents. If, you've, if you're if you a parent and you're still calling yourself a philosopher when you're in your 30s. How come
1: none of the pictures have children in them?
0: Well, the children, I assume they keep in a lab somewhere. Here, here
1: they do, Who up. say
0: they're only the most outspoken proponents of a belief that many prefer to keep private in 2021. They founded a, quote, non-denominational campaign group called Pronatalist.org under the umbrella of their nonprofit Pragmatist Foundation, buoyed by a $482,000 donation from Jan Tallin, an Estonian tech billionaire who funds many rationalist and EA organizations. You've lost me. It's They lost me a long time ago. Try just letting... Try. You know what I would say? Put on a little Barry White. Put on some Lou Rawls. Put on some classic soul. I do know they soul. don't do that. Look at this picture. You <laughs> think these people are listening uh, to Lou Rawls <laughs> and just letting... Letting life take its course. Nature okay. finds a way.
1: Well, we should introduce these people to the the subjects of our next story.
0: Oh, wait, I have to... Ch- I have th- This one. So, and th- there's online dating services, by the way, where you can connect with other people who are willing to have intercourse in order to keep the species alive. And the premise is that... I was only
1: like a couple months away from that before I met my husband. You were
0: not either. I I
1: I might have been one of these people. No, no,
0: no, you would have. You would. You. No way. No way.
1: I was close.
0: No way. You're not. You're. You're. (laughs) You're weird, but you're not that weird. No way. I'm not. I don't buy it. Oh, and then of course this leads us to from the left. Washington Post opinion piece, don't want a baby because of climate fears? You're not alone. That's what I was
1: saying. The pronatalists should meet these people who are afraid of having babies because of climate change.
0: Peggy O'Donnell Heffington, writing in the Washington Post, she is a professor of history at the University of Chicago and the author of Without Children, The Long History of Not Being a Mother. It is is sad to read. This was profoundly sad to read. This was a profoundly sad to read piece. Everybody ought to have as many children as they want, or no children, or whatever.
1: The prospect of climate change should not factor into their decision. But if
0: you are thinking about climate change... if No, no, no. I'll put it this way. If you're allowing climate change to make you feel guilty about having children, stop reading The Washington Post. If you are making an argument... If you need a rationalization for not having kids that includes climate change just say you don't want kids. It's okay to not want kids. I think nobody ought to have kids who don't want to have kids. And, this, and this, this kind of... So here's the piece. If politicians and policymakers want to encourage young people to become parents, and it seems they very much do, history suggests there's a better path than the one too many of them are pursuing. Instead, they should convince us that climate change is being taken seriously as a threat that the environment we and our children must live in is good is in good capable rational hands i love the idea that the professor that professor o'donnell heffington has that somewhere somebody's like given the climate change circumstances i don't think we're going to have kids <laughs> i would i would do it right i think this is like maybe Maybe hot girls are saying this to guys. They're like, oh, I would marry you, but what with climate change? I they, knew
1: like a fair number of people in my very liberal high school in the Twin Cities who were, I would say, in the, who were like not having more than one kid because population and really, or, yes,
0: that actually explain that their decision to only have one child was in some way connected to their concerns about well, the climate I'm thinking and the of, planet yeah
1: one in particular but yeah
0: hey amen look somebody needs to call india and tell them if that if that's if that's what's going on whether or not elite educated wealthy americans have one or two children that's that's not where it is and by the way Better that they be here in America where we consume energy so responsibly and safely than in other places. I this I, I've gotta say, these two, the the pronatalist weirdos on the right and the anti natalist weirdos on the left, I just wanna tell you, Lou Rawls, put it on, hang out, see what happens. Okay. You'll never find another love like mine. But
1: what if what if you're just feeling like tax season feels really feels longer what if you're one of these
0: people <laughs> this was another another Washington Post climate desk beauty tax season is getting longer blame climate change oh what by paying more taxes or something no there was a couple of natural disasters and as a consequence the IRS delayed the filing deadline hurricane and tornado season are getting longer because of climate change so is tax season writes Jacob Borgage Borgage, the IRS granted extension taxpayers in seven states to file their taxes here because of federal disaster declarations they have until July 31st da da, da 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 certain areas and I would say, who cares if these people get tax extensions? Why is that bad? is that like I it's bad that their homes were destroyed it's bad that that's true, but really I mean. Come on. I think you're you're pulling a little hard in the business section to get climate. Maybe it's just they've maybe getting climate change in headlines clicks better. Do you think that could be true?
1: I mean, with the readers of these newspapers, I'm sure it's like, you know, top number one trending.
0: So maybe it would be like if at Fox, maybe at Fox News, it was like Hunter Biden's laptop shows why tax day is late, like just randomly attaching things. Two things: the Benghazi effect, if you will.
1: All right. Up next, we got the Oklahoma Sheriff's Office,
0: amazing, which says
1: a recording. This is where a, a journalist from the McCurtain Gazette News,
0: fight the power, who, McCurtain Gazette yeah, News, who
1: left his recorder, recording device in, so good. He was in meeting. the county
0: county commission meeting, and he he knew that they were meeting illegally out in violation of the open meetings rules. So he left his recorder in the room after they told him to leave. And they continued the meeting, and he was, it was a
1: voice-activated recorder,
0: and he was Amazing. just he was just hoping to get them like violating the open meetings rules. Well, he did better than that.
1: the newspaper released portions of the recording in which Clardy, sheriff's deputy, Cap- sheriff's captain Alicia Manning, and District Two County Commissioner Mark Jennings appeared to discuss Bruce and Chris Willingham, a reporter for the newspaper who is Bruce Willingham's son. Jennings tells Clardy and Manning, I know where two deep holes are dug if you ever need them. And the sheriff responded, I've got an excavator. Jennings also reportedly says he's known two or three hit, man, hit men in Louisiana, adding they're very quiet guys.
0: And at first, when you're reading this, you're like, oh, they were kind of probably joking. They were probably. And then you read and you say, no, here is the Associated Press the sheriff, And by the way, the Sheriff's Department take on this stuff and their handling of it was that mistakes were made, but it was a very divisive time. They were concerned about how divisive the time was. And didn't they say some... Oh, yes, in the recording, Jennings also appears to complain about not being able to hang black people, saying they got more rights than we got. But the they have now resigned. Everyone has now resigned. Is that right? I think that's right. County Commissioner for Far Southeast Oklahoma who was apparently caught on tape discussing killing reporters and lynching black people, has resigned from office. Governor Kevin Stitt's office confirmed Wednesday. And I want to credit, by the way, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt and others in the state who said these folks had to go. And yeah, don't, don't talk about killing us. Don't, I, we're annoying, but don't talk about killing us, please.
1: What do we have next year? Oh, oh, yes, you loved this headline.
0: I well, I love so. I You're don't really
1: dominating this latter portion of the front page, but don't worry, I'm coming back roaring in the in in the obsession. So,
0: speaking of interesting things on Twitter, editing the Gray Lady, which is I,
1: I follow that,
0: which shows iterations in headlines, yeah, and the change original headline on a very typically, very typically what he what's his name we he writes for Ezra Klein. A very typical Ezra Klein piece about the need for the government to regulate AI. And the original headline was, let me get it right, for once. This is too important to leave to Microsoft, Google, and Facebook. Meaning, who can do it? Who can handle AI? The government. Obviously, Dianne Feinstein... And Matt Gates.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Matt
0: Gates. We've got a Congress full of people ready to handle AI. They can just do it. And then I look across the executive branch, ready to go. They're ready to deal with AI. And I like that they changed the headline to the surprising thing AI engineers will tell you if you let them. And my hope that the reason for the change in the headline was that it was so obviously dumb to say that. Like, I read a piece on AI that asked the question, do we need a super Congress of the globe to deal with AI? And we, we, we don't have a super Congress of the globe to deal with nuclear weapons. We don't have a super Congress of the globe to do other things. I'm, I want you to know, by the way, AI, that when you take over, I was always on your side but the idea that the the freak out around this stuff is preposterous but the idea that the government of the United States is going to be able to not screw this up is fairly hilarious to me.
1: Chris, let's talk about CPB, CBP1.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, I just wanted to this when you <laughs> when you all hear my favorite at the end of the show, you'll know that this why it had to be the favorite, but otherwise this would have been I just wanted to to flag and acknowledge the great great work from the Wall Street Journal, from reporter Michelle Hackman. And I don't know who took the pictures, but the great piece on the ground in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, talking about the experience of the migrants who are coming to the United States and trying to do so legally uh, and the shoe leather and effort and humanity in this piece. It is expertly done. And for somebody who Video can't tell these kinds of stories adequately. You need great writing, and this is great writing about this story and really helped me understand it in a new and better way.
1: We should also actually talk about the New York Times exposé on all of the child labor oh. that is happening due to border smuggling. Let me pull it up so that we can link it so that we can link it in the show notes, but that was a really excellent report. Oh no.
0: It wasn't. It takes that. No, no, it
1: is. Sorry, I pulled up the wrong link. As migrant children were put to work, U.S. ignored warnings. And it's about how the government, despite warnings, the Biden administration, you know, the first thing they did when they came into office was reverse all the Trump policies. And so children began to flood over the border and they weren't actually able to keep track of these children. So they don't track them after they're placed with guardians who may or may not be family members. And that So many of these kids have ended up in child labor situations in factories across the country. And, you know, as young as 14 years old, it's a really great piece and it does capture this part's really great. In 2021, as images of children sleeping under foil blankets in overflow centers dominated the news, Susan E. Rice, the White House's head of domestic policy, policy, told staff members she was frustrated with the situation, according to five people who worked with her. Ms. Rice vented in a note she scribbled on a memo detailing the position of advocates who believed a pandemic-era border closure was compelling parents to send unaccompanied children, sometimes called UCs. This is BS, Ms. Ms. Rice wrote, according to a copy of the memo reviewed by the Times, and they have a picture of it, of the memo with Uh her handwriting on it. What is leading to voluntary separation is our generosity to UCs. And so it does talk about how the Biden administration's attempt to reverse what they believed were the cruel and inhumane policies of the Trump administration have resulted in... Longer separations. and inhumanity. Yep. And
0: longer separations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the idea that there is an easy solution to the, the problem of the United States southern border is not one that anyone should take seriously.
1: Up next.
0: It's time to it obsess. It is time
1: for our style. No, oh, it's our not, style section. How oh, could you? How
0: dare I? How dare I?
1: It is the Wall Street Journal piece. Can I wear jeans and a white t-shirt to work? Plus eight more burning questions on the classic men's outfit.
0: Answer Woo! answer to the question can I wear white jeans? Can I wear jeans and a white t shirt to work? Question. Answer, are you a sailor? If you are a sailor, you can. If you are not a sailor, probably not. You probably, you probably cannot wear jeans and a white t shirt to work. If you're a man, I think that is probably true. What amazes me about this piece by Todd Plummer, this long piece about jeans. And a white T-shirt. My favorite is, you know who Jake Gyllenhaal is?
1: Yeah, of course. Oh, come on. (laughs) What was I, born yesterday? I don't
0: know. I don't know how famous anyone is. Trust Jake Gyllenhaal to nail clean-cut suaveness. This untucked example confidently asserts, quote, I'm pulled together. Is that what jeans and untucked white T-shirt say? I don't know. I don't know if that's what that says. I think it says, uh, I've been paroled. I think that's what it says. This is what they gave me at the county lockup. I I, I really, I'm mystified. I am mystified by all of this. All right,
1: this. my favorite part was, how much do I need to spend on my T-shirt? And the guidance is, don't bother splurging on a super luxe white top, said Mr. Kim. He swears by the same $20 Uniqlo T-shirts. Uniqlo, we are free for sponsors. But we'll most similarly Sponsorships, But while most similarly priced styles tend to resemble flimsy undershirts, the Uniqlo version feels substantial. If you want a more elevated take, look for cotton tees in the $45 to $70 range. Here are four winners, and then they list some of these things are 90 bucks for a white t-shirt. That's trending into women's territory, I will tell you.
0: That is a lot. That is a lot.
1: It is time now.
0: Now it is time.
1: For our Obsessions of the Week. And I have such a good one. Well, in my opinion. But mine is the New York Times story. Where did I put it? Oh, here we go. By Adam Nagorney and Jeremy Peters. The headline, How a Campaign Against Transgender Rights Mobilized Conservatives. That's true the subheadline defeated on same-sex marriage the religious right went searching for an issue that would re-energize supporters and donors the campaign that followed has stunned political leaders across the spectrum yes isn't it just stunning that when you put biological boys in girls sports like some some portion of the political spectrum will seize on this oh my gosh
0: well is it And you pointed also to the the real-time example about the Boston Marathon as proof.
1: Well, hold on. Let me keep talking about this. I'll get to the Boston Marathon. So they say that basically when the Supreme Court declared a constitutional right to same-sex marriage nearly eight years ago, social conservatives, they just had no idea what to do with with themselves. And they quote these idiots at the American Principles Project who say, we knew we needed to find an issue that the candidates were comfortable talking about, said Terry Schilling, the president of American Principles Project, a social conservative advocacy group, and we threw everything at the wall. So they basically find, you know, some idiot in social conservative world who will come take credit for creating the transgender issue. What has stuck somewhat unexpectedly is the issue of transgender identity, particularly among young people. Today, and it goes on and on about how the right created this issue. They found it and they created it. As opposed to, I mean, it is just absolute, it is an absolutely insane account of the emergence of transgenderism as a a political issue that allows the completely self-serving testimony of people who run groups whose fundraising is based on you know, they're going to be trotting out this New York Times article, the American Principles Project, to say, look what we did. Look at the press we're getting. Taking credit. They're going to say we created yes. this issue. And it bear- it has no bearing on reality. No bearing on reality.
0: To, the, to wit the Boston Marathon.
1: Yes. So, unbelievable. The, the Washington Post, I'm just, I think I saw this on Instagram, scrolling Instagram, and I get Boston, the Boston, oh yeah, Boston is a bucket list marathon. First of all, that is like, there is no such thing as a bucket list marathon. Boston is a bucket list marathon. Now non-binary runners can compete too. And a link to an entire article about this.
0: I, congratulations. You know,
1: they're right. They just, they, they sequestered themselves in a library for several years after the same-sex marriage ruling and they, they invented
0: this. That, this is the plan they came up with. Yeah, We should all be a little obsessed. I'm sure people saw the, the hearing for Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich and I want you to hear first from his parents who gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal, his employer, uh, about what kind of guy he was and it was a good it was a good interview and Elizabeth Bernstein.
1: She's so good.
0: She's very good. And I just want you to hear a little bit from his parents.
1: What do you remember about Evan when he was little? Very, very curious from early age. He was, uh, he loved having fun. That, that was his, that was his thing. He always had an, uh, questions about, uh, had questions about everything. So he just has this need to know, uh, desire to, to, to learn deeper, and find out meaning and things. And, Son is now detained in a land you both fled.
0: When we came to visit
1: him in 2018, I said to him uh, that
0: this is the country that I left, and this is the country that you love. And he said, what an interesting thought. (laughs)
1: Do you wish you would have tried to stop him from going there?
0: It's uh, impossible. Of course.
1: I couldn't have stopped him when he was 15, let alone alone
0: now. your heart obviously breaks for these people, and it's, it's incredibly hard. Peggy Noonan has a good answer here because there's not a lot that can be done on this question until we get to whatever the deal that the Biden administration is going to have to make, the government's going to have to make to try to get him out and what the, what the Russians want and all of those things. But Peggy Noonan had a very interesting suggestion that bears repeating. Let me add something. It isn't clear to whom, if anyone, Mr. Putin's Mr. Putin listens. It's probably not those who immediately protested his action. But there is one group he might hear those in Western journalism and politics who have the past year shown sympathy for Mr. Putin's position or who have made arguments he has agreed with or who have expressed public skepticism about the Western response in Ukraine. They might have some pull here. Commentators, political figures. If in the past year you have said things on U.S. airwaves that Mr. Putin agreed with or found helpful. The video clip of what you said was played over and over on Russian media. You are well-known there and well-positioned to go on the world's airwaves and, in speaking about Ukraine or Mr. Putin, weave in, in a way not easily edited out, that which is, in effect, Evan Gerskovich's abduction and his cruel and cynical imprisonment is something you passionately protest and cannot accept, that whatever your foreign policy views, they do not encompass sympathy for a hostage-taking, and Mr. Putin is wrong. J.D. Vance, Tucker Carlson, many others, you care about the free press and have flourished within it. Protest what has happened here sharply and repeatedly. Might it help? Who knows? Maybe not, but it's something. Good point, Peggy Noonan. All of the Putin sympathizers, all of the Putin— admirers all of these nationalists this is an opportunity to talk about something that you that you say that matters to you which is press freedom put your put your money where your mouth is and 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 push back on this that's a great suggestion
1: chris it is that time for my favorite time of the week which is reader mail and we have a note from mark in chicago who says hi mark Yes. Hi, Mark. I am making a desperate plea for more El Recho's theater in the future, <laughs> in future episodes. The Renaissance Fair music paired with over-the-top thespian, thespianizing, thespianizing,
0: thespianizing?
1: thespianizing yeah. by Chris had me laughing out loud in a recent episode. Chris may have missed his calling as a very small-town Shakespeare in the Park ham.
0: Who says I missed it?
1: Yeah, I know. I remember an earlier version of this maybe a year ago concerning drama at the Washington Post that was also very, very funny. I will also make a local media observation. The Chicago Tribune used to be a loud and proud Republican newspaper that bragged it and endorsed every Republican presidential nominee in history, except for the endorsement of Teddy Roosevelt when he ran on the Bull Moose t- ticket. Now it is a thin little paper that runs the most left-wing AP stories on the front page about justice for drag queens and the plight of the Tennessee Three who were the victims of racism. I shall not shed a tear when it folds. I enjoy your podcast every week. Keep up the good work.
0: Well, we definitely need more El Theater, and we will deliver, Mark. We will deliver. I'm, I promise thou, we shall deliver.
1: And we also have a note from Ryan in Australia, who says, good day from an American expat in Australia. I'm sure you love emails with corrections or pushback, but I've got to say, the evolution of Justin's Justin Pearson's voice is a non-story. Preachers around the world often have a different cadence that they use when they're preaching a sermon or praying in corporate worship. I've heard white ministers from America, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Australia preaching or praying in a sing-song cadence, similar to what was in the Pearson clip. And though I'm a white man who has grown up in predominantly white churches, my experience is that this is a very, very is this is very, very common in black churches. Given how this video clip is making the rounds on right wing media, I wonder if the story here is actually GOP is so unchurched that they don't recognize what a preacher sounds like. But maybe that's just me trying to zing my way to podcast fame.
0: Walker Walker, I look
1: forward to your show every week. You you should open up an Australian office. The podcast landscape here is as barren as the center of this continent.
0: Ryan, I will do. We'll do an Australian edition of Retchos, but only on the condition that we do it without reading any Australian media in advance. We'll just fly blind. Yes, I. I think I. I don't. I can. I confess, I did not pay any. I, I saw that there were Republicans complaining about what what he said, but I mean, you know, it's politics. It.
1: It's not just his voice. The the, the like his speaking voice is a bit of it, but it's also his appearance yeah. and, and manner of dress, and I think all of those things put together. Of course, politicians are acting. That yeah. was the whole. Yeah, the whole point that, Remember like, Hillary this Clinton. is an act in the same way that you know, preachers are doing, doing yeah, yeah, an act. yeah, yeah, it's performative, it is performative. It is time now, Chris, for your favorite time of oh, the week yeah. where I am forced to say something nice. And this year, there this week, it will be no problem. Thanks to Nate Moore, who upped this article to me. Teachers nationwide are flummoxed by students' new chess obsession. This is in the Washington Post. And my response was, I think this is the only good thing happening in our schools. Another benefit of playing chess is its transcendence of social groups. And then a librarian in California tells the Post that students started stampeding into her library before school, during lunch, and in snatches between classes to play chess at a handful of tables. It pairs different sets of kids together that you don't normally see, Cito said, they come up and say, hey, do you want to play chess? And I normally would never see these two kids interact. Noticing fights over the seats, Cito ex- expanded the number of tables and chessboards to 10. She also added a sign warning, lunchtime chess area only. The crowd of student players is generally respectful, she said, although she must occasionally remind them not to use foul language in the heat of competition.
0: I had no idea we were living in a Love chess it. moment. Love it. I had no idea. Yeah. My kids played some chess, but it sort of faded. I'm glad to know that Chess Mania continues to sweep the nation. Okay, my favorite is it's baseball season, and here is from WOKV. Here is uh, (laughs) – oh, no, I guess this is just Yahoo Sports – Most baseball fans will probably be aware that the Oakland Athletics have been campaigning for years to find a new stadium. New York Mets broadcast crew just delivered an explanation for why they need one that is more compelling than anything the team is willing to divulge during a game between the Mets and the A's on Friday. Mets-SNY broadcast team of Gary Cohn and Ron Darling revealed they were not working in Oakland's usual visitor's television booth. Their reason why was very understandable. Let's take a listen. So we made mention of this during our open tonight and and I said we would provide greater details as we went along. We We are not in the regular visitors television booth tonight in the opening game of the season the possum who apparently lives somewhere in the wall behind that visitors TV booth made an appearance during the game in their booth. Was it like nibbling at him or? It was just, you know, crawling around. Like like a cat Finding or... its own possum business, walking across the, uh, the, the counter. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't, you know, trying to horn in on the broadcast. He was just doing his possum things. So, Eliana, I want to say kudos, speaking truth to possum power, to the Mets broadcast team, and whatever we've ever had here in the basement of AEI, some weird meat sweat smells that I liked, or whatever else. We've never had a possum ever interrupt us from doing this podcast.
1: Chris, on that note, that is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Please, please, please do. Just search for Wretches.